I hope everybody's doing well. Weather was nice this weekend. I, I was great to get outdoors yesterday a little bit. Felt like uh, that was exciting for my family. We took like eight dog walks, so our dogs are loving the weather uh, in these days. Uh, this week was a really exciting week because the park is officially open. So if you drove by out there, yeah. If you drove by out there, you recognize that all the caution tape and the signs and the things that were up because it was a construction zone are gone, and there are kids playing out there. Um, it looks really, really beautiful. I don't know if you've gotten to go out there and kind of walk around. Um, and, and for many of you who are new to the community, that's a great picture of Silas. Uh, for many of you who are new to the community, uh, what, what's been happening is this kind of two-year process of us discerning what is it that we want to do with the resources that God has given us and how do we bless the community and what's in front of us? And, and as a community, we kind of got together and we prayed and we got together and we started talking about what's next. And two years ago, we decided rather than kind of repair the building here or create better seating arrangements or, yeah, I don't know, fix the bathrooms or whatever the things that you could have done inside the building, there's lots of them because this is an older building, uh, but rather than doing all of those things, what if we created a space for our community that said, we love you, we're grateful for you, and we want to connect with you? And so that vision has now come to life, which is really exciting. And that's because of the sacrificial giving of an entire community coming together and saying, let's do this together. So it's about $415,000 investment from our church to create this space. Uh, it took two years in the works, the only thing that's left to do is the lines to get painted on the basketball court, uh, which will be really cool because it's going to have the little Grace Marietta logo in the center there, so you can imagine it just by looking at that, right? Uh, it's going to be really exciting, um, but we can't do that until we get, I think it's four days in a row without rain and 50-degree weather, uh, and we are not in the stage of uh, Atlanta weather right now where that can happen four days in a row. Uh, so we're waiting until March. March, that will be completed but as of today, the park is open. Um, there's been people out there all week, uh, which has been really exciting. And uh, just want to encourage you to use that space, bring friends over here to the building, connect with people. And here's the big thing I want to encourage everybody in the room and everybody who's watching at home with. When you are at the park, if you are a partner of Grace Marietta, if this is your church home and you are out there, you are a host, not a guest. Can I get an amen? amen, right? And so anytime you are out there and there are people that we don't know, we are greeting them, we are loving them, we are sharing the good news, we are proclaiming encouragement over them, and we are inviting them to join our family, which I think is a really, really great family. Uh, and so every time you're out there, just make sure you're greeting people, loving people, encouraging people. Uh, our youth kids were out there a few weeks ago when the park was closed playing basketball. I might have let that slip. Uh, but they were out there playing, and there were a bunch of other kids, and it was so cool to see our students gathering cell phone numbers of people who were playing and saying, hey, every time we're going to be out here, we're going to text you, and you guys come. So our students are modeling the way in this already, and so let's do the same as adults uh, and continue to invite people in. I want to thank two really specific people who are not here today, um, but hopefully are watching online. If not, somebody can just tell, tell them that we thank them. Um, but Hardin Byers, who's the chairman of our board, has spent the last two years working through every logistic, every kind of detail of this kind of thing. He's done so, so much work uh, helping put this together. And Tim Wessinger was our project manager for the whole pro pro ish time, and he's been out there 
working and out there, really every day, <laughs> he's out there working on something, uh, cleaning something, meeting with somebody, all of those kinds of things. And so can we just show our appreciation to Harden and Tim uh, for making that work? And, and would you guys just be praying, right, that this place is a place where um, relationships are built, where connections are formed, where people are starting to connect to the family of God and where joy and good things can happen over and over and over again. It's, it's really, really fun to see. Uh, we're in a series called Awakenings, and we've been talking through what it looks like to live our kingdom dreams, uh, what it looks like for us to step into the calling and the purpose that God has for each and every one of us. And so we started week one by talking about what is a kingdom dream. Uh, a kingdom of dream, the way that we define it, is the good work that God prepared for you to do in advance. It's the, it's the uh, occupation, the job outside the walls of the church that God has prepared for you in advance to do. It's the way that we live out our calling in our everyday life. And we believe that every follower of Jesus has a kingdom dream. He has created you the way that he has created you. He has gifted you the way that he has gifted you. He has placed you in the context that he's placed you for a reason and for a purpose, and it's because all of us are the sent people of God, sent to be the ambassadors of God into the world and outside the walls of the church. Week two, last week, we talked about where the American church's model rubs up against this model. Because consumerism and individualism allows the invitation of the American church to be, I'm going to attend, I'm going to volunteer, and I'm going to join a group. Rather than what we see in the Bible, which is I go, I lead, and I make disciples. And so these two models rub up against each other. We're taught oftentimes that my only job as a follower of Christ is to show up on Sunday, and if I'm really holy, I might volunteer in the kids' ministry, and if I'm really, really holy, I'll join a small group. And I'm saying that's too small of an invitation for the church to give. I think this is why we're losing the young people in the church is because we're inviting them to something that doesn't give life. What we want to invite the community into, what we want to invite the church into, the church that we want to become is a church that goes outside the walls, that leads, and that makes disciples. Uh, and, and so this calling and this idea of leaving and going is significant. This idea of hearing what God is calling me to do and then obeying and stepping into that really, really matters to us. And so this week, I want to jump into John chapter 20. If you've got your Bibles, you can open there. That's where we're going to spend our time today. John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after Jesus has been crucified. This is a good Easter message. This is, the Easter, this is the Easter verse. After Jesus has been crucified, the disciples are trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? What do we do now? Jesus, our Savior, is, is gone. The, the vision, the dream that we had is gone. What do we do next? And so they're hiding out. They're afraid. They're in an upper room kind of waiting. Jesus said, wait, and the Holy Spirit will come. And so they're, they're following the instructions, but they're just kind of sitting around. In future stories, we see the disciples had gone back to the work they were previously doing before they met Jesus. So they're going back to being fishermen. They're going back to their previous jobs. They've lost their kingdom dream. And so Jesus walks in and reminds them of their sentness. He reminds them of their ambassadorship. 
He reminds them of their role in the kingdom. And so today, as I've been praying for what I wanna do today, I wanna walk into this room and I wanna remind you of your calling. I wanna remind you of your purpose. I wanna remind you of your sentness. I wanna remind you of your ambassadorship in the kingdom. And I wanna remind you that we believe that every single follower of Jesus is a missionary sent into the world to be an ambassador for Jesus. Thank you. Trying to get some energy in the room. John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked because the disciples were afraid of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had, shown them, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his sides. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. He repeats it. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he says this, and this is where I want to land today, and I think this is so significant for us in this moment to understand. This is deeply theological, this is deeply true, and it's deeply applicable to our everyday life. Here's what he says to the disciples who have lost their kingdom dream, who have hid out in a room, who have decided rather than going out and being on the offense to hide in a room and be on the defensive, here's what he says to them. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father, God, has sent me, Jesus, into the world, I am also sending you. And then when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them new imagination. He breathed on them new power and new authority. He gave them their calling. This is like a, a, a moment of sending. It's like a moment of anointing. It's like a moment of before you go, we're gonna pray for you. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna give you my authority and power. Leaving and going is a part of the natural habitat of Christians. We've had so many people who have decided to, to, to be a part of our church for a season or, or a part of our church for a few years and then God has called them to a different place or he's called them to a new ministry or he's called them to be missionaries in another world or another area of the world. And, and every time we do that, we gather up front here and we, we in, in pre-COVID times, we put hands on them and we gather up close and we pray and we send them. And when we pray, we say, would God send you with his power? Would God send you with his authority? Would God send you in the same way that he sent Jesus, we don't understand our sentness. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about how did the Father send Jesus? Because that seems to matter, right? If Jesus says to us, I'm sending you as the Father sent me, then it's probably important for us to understand how did the Father send Jesus? What did the Father send Jesus to do? What was Jesus's relationship with the Father? So the beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus is the picture of God. Scripture says he is the revelation of God. He is the word made flesh. He is the picture of what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, then we look to Jesus. And so as we think about this, we think about how did God send Jesus because it's the same way that he's sending us. And so I want to give us just three or four real quick simple principles about how God sent Jesus that matters to our life today. The first one is that God sent Jesus to dwell among us and to be with us. God sent Jesus to dwell among us and to be with us, which means that we are the sent people of God called to dwell among others and to be with them. We are called to go outside the walls of the church and to be with people. We are called to go from one place to another and to actually make our dwelling there. 
right? Jesus, this is the, 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 the theological term, the big Bible college word for this is the incarnation. Jesus is the incarnation, which means he is God made flesh. If God put on skin, that's what Jesus was like. And so he's this picture of indwelling, of being with us. He didn't come and stay distant. He didn't come and stand at a distance from us. He came and he walked among us and he experienced everything that it was like to be human. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of both grace and truth. And so in Jesus's life, not only do we have an example of what God looks like, we also have an example of what mission looks like, of what living towards your purpose is like, of what living with God and interacting with God in the middle of your calling is like. And we see a picture of Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, and actually dwelling among the people that he's called to serve. And here's the question that I have for every single one of us this morning. Who are you called to dwell with? Who are you called to be with? Who are the people that you have been sent to? And are you with them? Are you around them? Are you close to them? Are you taking on flesh with them? Are you being beside them and walking with them through the everyday life? Like the, what, what's amazing about Jesus' discipleship model is it's so, it's so close. It's not distant. Jesus didn't decide to disciple his disciples by creating a video series and having them watch it. He didn't decide to disciple his, his, his disciples by standing up in a pulpit and having them sit out in a crowd each week and just kind of take notes on his teaching. The way that he chose to disciple was being with them. It was walking on the road. It was eating meals together. It was in the evening sitting by the fire together. It was being with one another. And so are we being with the people that we've called to be sent to? Are we dwelling among them as Jesus dwelled among us? The second thing is God sent Jesus to leave heaven and to come to earth. This is really, really significant. And it sounds like it's a small thing or an insignificant thing. It sounds like, of course, this happened. But here's the reality. In order for us to go somewhere, we have to leave something behind. It's always the case. It's always how it works. And I wish it didn't work like that sometimes. I, I'm, I'm kind of a person who wants to do everything. I've got like this FOMO. I want to be a part of everything that's going on. I don't want to miss out on anything that's happening. And so I want to do everything. But I know that I have these limits. I have these limitations of what I can do. And so if I'm going to step into something else, I have to leave something else behind. And this is true for Jesus as well. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And so if we are sent, it means that we have to leave. So what are you leaving behind to go where you've been called to go? What are you leaving behind to step into the places that you've been called to step into? What are you leaving behind so that you can be sent? There is this posture of leaving and going that we exhibit when we follow as Christ has called us to. The third thing is that God sent Jesus to eat with sinners and to be among those who are outside the church. I love that one of the greatest criticisms of Jesus was that he drank too much and he ate with the sinners. I like that, right? 
Because I like that for a couple of different reasons. One, I like it because, so we always talk about, isn't it cool that Jesus wanted to be with the sinners? Like, doesn't it show us the heart of God that Jesus wanted to be with the sinners? Can I just say this? Isn't it cool that the sinners wanted to be with Jesus? Isn't it great that people outside the church wanted to be in his presence? That the greatest criticism that the church and the religious people could come up with for Jesus was that he's too evangelistic, that he's too fun, that he's too outside the walls of the church, that he's meeting with people that don't have a high reputation. Jesus didn't care about any of those things. Mark chapter two says, as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw what he was eating with the tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? And when Jesus said this, he turned to them and he said, those who are well are in no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. We are sent to go outside the church, guys. We are sent into the world to be the ambassadors of a kingdom that is good. And we're called not just to be those ambassadors, but we're called to be the actual example that allows others to taste and see that God is good. When people see your life, do they taste and see that there's something good about the kingdom of God? Do they recognize in you that there's something beautiful and wonderful about the way you live, about the way that you carry yourself, about the way that you exhibit the love of God in your life every single day? Are people noticing the goodness and the grace and the beauty of the posture of Jesus in you? One of the toughest questions I've ever been asked about discipleship is if you want to make disciples, is there anybody out there who would actually want your life? Is there actually anybody who looks at your life and says, I think that life is good. I think I see something in him or her that is, that is beautiful that I don't have. I think there's something that they're exhibiting that I want. Do your neighbors want to come over to your house for dinner? Do your neighbors want to be with you? Do people outside the walls of the church want to sit at lunch with you, want to have coffee with you, want to eat a meal with you? Do they, or, or, or have we created this holy huddle where we're hiding in the room? I'm terrified that the American church is hiding inside the walls of the church. And week after week, we sing about the stuff, we pray about the stuff, but we never go do the stuff. And so what if we are just like the disciples? We're standing in a room, we're waiting, and God needs to walk back into that room and say, wait a minute, I just want to remind you, I've sent you. And it's great that the church is growing. It's great that good things are happening inside the walls. I love your prayer meetings. I love your heart. I love your songs. I love when you open the word. I love all of these things, but I'm actually doing all of those things so that you will go and so that you will be sent. The fourth thing is that God sent Jesus to a specific people with a specific purpose. I had to write a paper in in Bible college about what was Jesus' mission statement. If you had to narrow down what was Jesus called to do, what was Jesus asked to do, and, and, I, and I took this passage out of Luke chapter 4 where Jesus stood up to preach for the first time in the synagogue, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and here's what he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news for the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, and to set the liberty for those who are oppressed." Uh, in, in one of the, the, the versions of Scripture, it says, proclaim, heal, free, restore. 
Those were the four things I zeroed in on the mission statement of Jesus. To proclaim the good news, to heal, to free, and to restore. And here's the question. Are we called to do the same thing that Jesus was called to do? And are we actually doing it? Are we proclaiming? Are we healing? Are we freeing? Are we restoring? Or are we attending, volunteering, and joining a small group? Because the call of God on our life is that we be sent to do the good works that God prepared for us in advance. Which means when God created you, when God made you, when you were a little child, when you were a baby, God looked at you and said, I've got works that I've prepared for that person. I know exactly why I made them, exactly why they are who they are, and it's because I have a plan for them, and that plan is good, and those purposes are good, and we believe that when we live into those purposes, we actually come to life. Do you know your kingdom calling, and do you know your kingdom purpose? If somebody sat down with you, I'd love to, be, I'd love to just do coffees with everybody in the church and just sit down and say, all right, what's your kingdom calling? What's the thing that God prepared for you to do in advance? What's the work that he's inviting you to do? What are you called to do? What's your job in the kingdom of God? Our mission here at Grace Marietta is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. Which, we, which means this, we believe that our job as the church is to equip people to go be kingdom ambassadors. Does that make sense? Our job is to help you figure out the dream and discover what your calling is and to go and live that kingdom dream. And so we've started over the past few weeks, we've started gathering these groups of leaders. Over the summer, we gathered about 50 leaders from the church and we started praying and talking about kingdom dreams. We started praying and talking about how God is calling all of us, how the vision that we have for Grace Marietta is that we get outside the walls of the church this year. And, and, and as we gather them, we invited those leaders into two different spaces. The first is a space where I know my kingdom dream, and because I know my kingdom dream, I need help getting there. And we're doing an eight-week time as we gather together where we're helping leaders launch groups that we're going to call launch groups that are going to be small groups of five to ten people that are going to be going outside the walls of the church that you guys will be invited into. And so there are leaders right now who are dreaming about what their kingdom dream is, who are stepping into the place that God has called them and are going to be leading small groups of people to get outside the walls, right? Outside the room where we're hiding and take on our ambassadorship and go. The second invitation that we're giving is for leaders who are sitting around saying, I, I know that I'm called, I know that I'm supposed to do something, but I'm not quite sure what that kingdom dream is. And so we're calling those discovery labs and we're helping those leaders discover their kingdom dream. And our job as the church is to equip leaders to discover their kingdom calling and to live into it. And that's where we're putting the majority of our effort this year. And I feel like when we gather together with that small group of leaders right now that are gonna be our first fruits of launch groups, I feel like we're standing on holy ground. Because I feel like we're seeing the first fruits of what could be this beautiful unleashing of the kingdom of God in our community and in our place. I was reading this week and I, I was reading about kingdom sentness and this idea of us being the sent people of God. And this is the question that came up. And it's kind of a chicken or egg question. Like I'll admit that it's kind of a, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Here's the question. Does the church have a mission or does the mission have a church? 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I just thought I'd throw it out there. No, it's, a, it's an interesting question, right? Because I think we could build beautiful mission statements in the church. I think we could have great strategy. I think we can have great vision. I think we can have great ideas. But the mission actually belongs to God, and he's the one that's inviting us into his mission. All of this is God inviting us into his bigger picture for the world. It's God inviting us to be reconcilers. It's God inviting us to be the people who step out into the world and reconcile others to him. It's this beautiful invitation where God invites us into this. Jesus, as he's about to be arrested in John 17, prays this prayer. He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, and when he says these, he's praying for his disciples, right? So he's praying for the 12. He's praying for that group that is with them right there. I ask these things, God, on, on behalf of these, but also on behalf of all of those who believe in me through their word. That's us. All of us throughout history. I'm not just praying that the disciples would go and take this movement of of, of Jesus and change the world about it. I'm asking that every single follower of me would take on the same posture. Every person throughout the history of time would live in this way. And listen to his prayer. That they may be one. That they may be unified as you, Father, and I am one. As I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me, I give to them. It's the, it's the authority of the Father. It's the ambassadorship. You are, you are given the authority to be a spokesperson for Jesus in your world so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Notice how many times he repeats the word one in there. And oftentimes when we preach this, we use it as a preaching on unity, which the church could use some of that these days. Right? We use it on like, let's be aligned, let's, let's have some unity, let's get, let's, let's get along, stop fighting with each other, those kinds of things. What, what this is saying is Jesus is saying, as I and the Father are one, think about Jesus' relationship with God. Think about the closeness. Think about the intimacy. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only act when the Father invites me to act. Jesus was so aligned with the Father. He was so in tune to what the Father wanted him to do. He was so awake to his purpose and calling that he lived this alive life where he walked every single day into the calling of God. And so are we one with the Father? Are we taking our cues from God in heaven? I wonder if the greatest calling for our church this year is for us just to get outside the walls of the church and just do some of the stuff. Matthew 4, 17 says, From the time Jesus began to repent, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is saying, Repent. And when he says repent, repent's become this bad word in the church. Repent is actually just turning from what we're doing. It's agreeing with God about what's real. It's saying, I want to be aligned with you. I want to be one with you. And so repentance is the best thing that can happen to us. Walking away from these few months of studying awakenings and thinking about our calling, the greatest thing that can happen in our community and is in our church is if all of us get to a place where we say, all right, Lord, I just recognize I've not been fully aligned with you. I've not been one with you. And I want to realign. I want to get back so that I can walk in the path that you've invited me to walk in. I want to get back so I can go in the, in the ways that you've invited me to, to walk in. And I want to become awake and agree with you about what reality is. 
There's a huge difference, guys, between church people and kingdom people. And I think we've actually perpetuated a culture in the American church that creates church people and not kingdom people. We've actually created this tension where I have to choose between am I going to follow a church or am I going to follow Jesus? Howard Snyder said it this way in his book, Liberating the Church. He said, kingdom people seek first the kingdom of God and its justice, but church people often put church work above the concerns of justice, mercy, and truth. Church people think about how to get people into the church. Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. I loved, we watched a video recently of our founding pastor, Buddy Hoffman, and there was this segment where Buddy, like in, in only his Buddy way, like this passionate way, says, I'm tired of the church playing defense. I want to be a church that plays offense. I want to be a church that gets out and decides that the kingdom is going to happen. And, and here's what often happens. What happens is we get inside the church and we start building and growing and we've got this core group of people and we want to take care of and love that core group of people. And so we've got, we create programs and we create this little kind of circle or this little kind of room where there's all of those dots represent people and all of those programs represent things that we do because the people, the dots, they want to have a kids ministry and they want to have a youth ministry and they want to have a knitting ministry and they want to have a... a, a push-up ministry. I don't know. Like the, Everybody wants to have a ministry of some sort, and so we just create all of these things that are all programs for people that are already inside the circle. And so we fight over this small group of people that are inside the circle. We're fighting for people who are already in the kingdom. We're fighting for people who, 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 don't, who already know Jesus, whose eternity is secure. And what I want to suggest is that there's a bigger picture out there. There's a bigger picture that says there's not just this circle, but there's a circle where the world is out there. Can we go to that next slide? I mean, there are hundreds and millions of dots outside. And so why, guys? Right now, Grace Marietta, I love you. We, we're, we're averaging about 100 people here on Sundays right now because of COVID. Let's not fight over the 100 when there's hundreds of thousands of people outside the walls of the church in Marietta. Let's not create a bunch more programs so that we can be more comfortable, so that we can feel more safe, so that we can have more whatever it is that we want. Let's create programs that draw the people that are outside the circle into the circle. Let's create space so those things can happen. This Wednesday night, I gathered with these launch groups, and we had this beautiful time of prayer, and we were teaching, and Allie's been teaching, and she's doing amazing with her teaching, and it's just been so good for all of us to be together. And, but, but then I drove outside, and as, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm so excited about the park right now that every time I leave the church, I just drive that way because I just want to see it. It just feels good to me that we did something, guys, right? All right? Uh, so every time I leave the church now, I drive around and out that way because I just want to see, like, who's out there? What's going on? It was 10 o'clock at night when I left the church, and I drove out there, and there were eight kids playing basketball out at 10 o'clock at night. And can I be honest with you? As I was driving home, I just had this sense from the Lord, like, hey, you did the wrong thing tonight. You spent two hours with 10 people in a room here and maybe there's times when you need to stop doing the thing inside the church and you just need to go out and play basketball. 
and I'm old and I'll probably break my ankle, but I like, there, there's times when you just, we, I, I feel like we just get stuck and we're investing in the wrong circles. And this year, COVID has been this crazy disruption for the church. It's been this wild disruption for what we're doing, but maybe COVID is not a challenge that we need to deal with. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to understand our kingdom calling in the first place. Maybe it's an awakening to us to see what God is really inviting us to, what he's really calling us to. And, and listen, I, I know that there are a bunch of people watching at home who are really COVID conscious and are, are wanting to stay safe, and I want to affirm that. Stay at home. That's why we video the service every week. If you're feeling afraid, if you're immune, immune compromised, if you're worried, stay at home. But I do want to talk about church attendance because there's things that are happening in our culture that matter right now. So people that study the church and culture right now are saying 33% of the people who attended church pre-COVID will never come back to the church. That every church in America has now lost 33% of their attenders. Uh, We can wait on that slide, guys. 33% have lost all of their attenders. And so the majority of churches have lost, they're not coming back. They've lost 33%. So think about the church in America you lose 33% of your membership, that's a big deal. You lose 33% of the resources that came in from those folks. You lose 30% of the investment and the volunteering time and the way that those people cared and walked through everything. You're losing a big deal. Majority of churches during COVID have taken a 35 to 55% drop in attendance. Ours is about 55, 60% of our attendance has gone away. And so we've lost a bunch of folks. Now, we have no idea who's watching online and how many. There may be, we may have more people, and I just don't know about it, right? Um, but, but in the room, about 50% of people have gone away. And typically, most churches have experienced between a 22 and 32% drop in giving during this time. And so people have stopped giving to the church, uh, and, and the giving has decreased. Now, our giving has held steady through COVID, but honestly, it's giving that is propped up because there's three or four people in the church who wrote enormous checks for us. You take those checks out, and we're right along with everybody else. We're about 30% behind on our normal giving. So there's people who have been generous and have helped us out and saved us and kind of rescued us and propped up that budget, but the reality for us is we would have had a 30% drop as well if it wasn't for those folks. So let's see, show this next slide here. Because the truth of this is that this is not a new issue that is because of COVID. This is an issue that has been happening in our country for a long time. I know that's really hard to read right there, but look at the declining numbers from 2003 to 2020, or 2013 to 2020. The numbers have gone from around 50% to 37%. The truth is 57% of church attenders, last year pre-COVID, 57% of church attenders said they are tired of the church experience. 57% of people said, this is before COVID. This is before we went online. This is before everybody got mad at me about masks or no mask. Right? This is before the election. This is before all of this stuff has started happening. All of these things, 57% said, I'm, I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. Most Christians are still attending church. Most Christians still have a church that they call home. They they just don't attend as frequently. So one of the things that we started studying in the Grace family was how often people attend. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, I was at the church every day. Like, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays. We were there all the time. 
And we were the first ones to arrive, and we were the last ones to leave. And my dad was never a pastor, and my mom was never a pastor, and neither of them were ever paid to be a part of the church. But we were just there. If they opened the doors of the church for anything, we were there. And it drove me crazy, especially when I was an older kid and my parents were making me go to church. I don't know if anybody, anybody else grow up like we did not ever miss church. We were there every time. One of the things that's happening in the church nowadays is there's people that call your church their home, but they only show up once a month, or they only show up once every three months. They'll continue to give, they'll continue to be a part of it, but they've just decided that church attendance is not a value for them. It's not that important to them. And can I suggest that all of these problems are discipleship issues, and all of these problems are because the American church has invited us to attend, to volunteer, and to join a small group, rather than inviting us to change the world. Imagine if you needed the church so badly because you didn't know the work that you were going out to do that week, and you needed God's presence and power and authority, and you needed your church members around you and family around you who were encouraging you, who were praying for you, who were helping you discern, who were walking with you, because the game isn't Sunday morning sitting here. The game is the rest of the week. Seven is greater than one every time. I want a church that believes that seven days a week of service out in the world is much greater than an hour of sitting and singing some songs. I don't care if we have less people in this room if we have more people mobilized for mission. So church attendance is on the decline. So here's the question, what are we gonna do about it? We can double down and try and get more people into the room. We can get a smoke machine, I don't know. I don't know what gets people here. We can, well, there's, there's all kinds of things. We can, we can start handing out bagels. I don't, I don't know what gets people to church these days. We can double down on those methods, or we can actually double down on what the Word of God says and start equipping and discipling people for mission in their everyday life. And I'm, I'm, I'm all about that, guys. I'm all about that. Uh, here, here's what I believe without a shadow of a doubt, guys. And I think we're at a pivotal moment in our, in our country's history in regards to the church, more pivotal than any moment of my lifetime. I think churches whose only goal is to gather Christians will decline and will eventually be irrelevant. And I think churches who equip and send will flourish and will grow. There's a, there's a wartime principle called contested ground. It's this idea that there is ground that is contested that needs to be fought to, to, to get. Right? And so there's ground that the enemy will allow you to have. There are spaces that the enemy will say, I don't really care if you occupy that space because that space is not significant. I drive past Kennesaw Mountain every morning on my drive here to the church. And so I've studied a lot of like the history of the battle at Kennesaw Mountain. That was all about high ground. Right? So the contested space at Kennesaw Mountain was who gets the high ground. And ultimately, it was about the railroad industry in Atlanta, which was the, where all the supplies for the Southern Army were coming. And so it was about those two contested spaces. Somebody has to get the high ground, and somebody has to get Atlanta where the railroads are. And so there's this battle for those contested spaces. But the, the, the Confederate Army didn't care if the Northern Army gathered in like the low ground and set up tents and had a camp and built fires and roasted marshmallows. I don't know. They didn't care what they did in that space. There was contested space that they would fight for. And I would suggest that the contested space of our world is no longer the church. It's out there. I think the enemy 
right? Which we do have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I think the enemy is willing to give up ground here. I think he's willing to let you grow a big giant church and let people gather and hear a good sermon and sing some songs if it doesn't influence the world at all. If it's just gonna create more consumers, you can have that ground. That's not contested ground. But when we get outside the walls of the church, it starts getting contested. When we get outside the walls of the church, we start getting stretched. When we get outside the walls of the church, it starts to become really, really challenging. I read an article this week from the Washington Post about the New Orleans Zoo. Uh, And here's what it said. Here's the headline. The headline says, Jaguar escapes zoo habitat, moves from enclosure to enclosure, killing trapped animals. Big headline. And so apparently, recently, at the New Orleans Zoo, they did not have very good jaguar cages, apparently. Uh, And the jaguar, in the middle of the night, decided to get out. And the jaguar just said, lunch, (laughs) And he just started jumping in the other enclosures where they had animals. And by the end of it, he had killed 12 different animals, um, some large ones. And he didn't even eat all of them. He just went and he just started hunting. And so he got outside. And and as I was reading the article, here's what it said. There are a couple things that I found really interesting. Um, One of them said, thank God this happened at night because the jaguar section is actually called the Kids Jaguar Jungle and is the home of the playground area for the kids. So right outside the jaguar cage is this playground. And these kids are playing in the playground all day. Like, And, and there was an interview with this woman, and here's what she said. She said, we were there last week, and we thought the jaguars were so cute. We just looked into their cages, and they were playing, and it was so cute, and we, we thought it... We, We didn't think they were dangerous. We thought the jaguar was just like, it's still a jaguar, guys. Like, so I was reading this, and I I just nerd out on stuff sometimes, and I found it interesting and weird. But here's what I started thinking. I wonder if nobody's worried about Jesus because we've locked him up in the church. I wonder if he's cute and cuddly. And he's sitting right next to the kids' section, and everybody says, yeah, we don't need to worry about Jesus. I wonder what happens when we let Jesus out of the church. I'm not saying he's going to eat animals, right? That's where, that's where this metaphor falls apart. I, I get it. <laughs> right? But I wonder what happens when we set the church free outside the walls of the church, guys. Like, I'm tired of playing defense. Jesus walked into the room with his disciples who were hiding and hanging out in a room with the doors locked, afraid of what was going to happen. And he said, I am sending you as the Father sent me. And he breathed on them the power of the Holy Spirit and he unleashed them. And you know what those 11 disciples did? They changed the world. In 300 years, Christianity went from about 2% of the population to Constantine, who named it the national government of Rome at that time, where over 80% of the population claimed to be Christians. Let's let him out, guys. What does it look like to let Jesus out of your life? What does it look like for you to go on the offense? What does it look like for you to get outside the walls of the church? And what does it look like for you to pray this prayer this week? Send me as you sent your son, Jesus, God. Send me as you sent your son. 
and start asking the question, where are you sending me? How are you sending me? So here's the, here's the homework I'm given this week. And the band's going to come up, and we're going to pray, we're going to move into a time of communion. But here's the homework. As you guys are thinking through this and praying through these, I want you to think of what's one way this week you can get outside the walls of the church and serve and love. What's one person you're called to love, you're called to bless, you're called to serve? What's one person you're called to have a conversation with? You don't have to figure out your entire kingdom calling right now or today. We'll help you with that. We're going to be working through this over the next year over and over and over again. But this week, what's the one thing that Jesus is asking you to do? Imagine Jesus walking into the room where you're praying this week. Just like he walked into the room with his disciples. And imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, I've sent you. I've sent you. I've sent you. I've sent you. I've sent you into the world as the Father has sent me. And so now go and be courageous and be brave. And we're going to have a time of communion. There's communion stations around the room. Most of you have communion elements as you came in. Um, But we're just going to take a minute and we're just going to take some time and just pray. There's going to be a prayer team that's going to be in the lobby in the back there that's happy to pray with you and greet with you. If you want to talk with somebody about a relationship with Jesus, if you want to talk to somebody about prayers that you have in your life or, or help that you need figuring out your kingdom calling, they would love to pray with you. But as we take communion today and as we take the bread and the juice, I want you to remember that we take the bread and juice because Jesus did what the Father told him to do. Because Jesus was courageous enough to finish his mission. Because Jesus didn't shrink back from running to Jerusalem where he knew he was going to die. And so next week, we're going to talk about the hard stuff on the road. We're going to talk about the contested ground. We're going to talk about the disorientation that comes when we step outside the walls of the church and how hard and dangerous and tricky it is. But here's the good news. Jesus is with us. You and the Father can be one as Jesus and the Father were one. And we believe that when we go, beautiful things start to happen. So Heavenly Father, I pray a special anointing over this time of worship and this time of reflection and this time of dreaming and thinking. I pray that you would bring to our minds areas of our life where we are called to go this week. I pray that you'd give us specific examples and specific ways that we could step outside the walls of the church. Lord, I pray that this isn't a pep talk or a guilt trip today. I pray that this is an opportunity for us to dream together, to reimagine together. I pray for awakenings, not guilt and shame. I pray for alignment and not excitement because the pastor told me to do it. So Lord, I just pray that you would do the work that I can't do anymore. I pray that you would speak and that you would move and that you would encourage and that you would breathe on every heart in this room that needs your breath. So God, we trust you. We ask you to move. In your name we pray.